Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. This is where we're at in Sunday school. Uh, I've filled in different times and have taught Sunday school over the years. And I'll tell you, our book uh, gives a bigger chunk than you can really cover <laughs> in a 25, 30, 35 minute period. Uh, and there was something near the end of Romans chapter 4 that really, really got me to digging in. Uh, and uh, like I said, we can't always dig as deep in Sunday school, but I just want to look at something uh, and, and pray that it will help us uh, tonight. I, I'm just thankful for God's word, aren't you? I'm glad. Uh, now, when we're in the book of Romans, I mean, it gets a little deeper, you know, it gets a little more complex than some of the other books, but that's all right. You know, that just, all that does is bring us back to the Lord and say, Lord, I need help again. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I don't quite understand, but I, I want to look at, we're going to read probably more verses than we'll look at in Romans, uh, but I've got some other ones uh, uh, to look back to, but Romans 4.17 is where we'll start. It says this, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. And it's talking about Abraham in this chapter. Before him uh, whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things uh, which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, uh, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, uh, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Uh, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us, for us also to whom it shall be imputed. For if we believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, uh, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Lord, we thank you for your word again. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me to preach tonight. Fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, empty me of sin. Lord, help me to get out of the way. But Lord, help us to learn from you tonight. Challenge us. Draw us closer to you. Let us understand what you're doing. And Lord, help us to walk by faith. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. amen. So if you, he's talking about Abraham in this chapter. So, uh, you know, one of the things you have to do is really you have to go back to the life of Abraham. Uh, and again, you know, you don't always have time to cover a whole thing and then go back and forth. But if you look at Abraham's life, I'm just going to read a couple different key pieces of it. Uh, one of the things that happens is in Genesis 13 and verses 15 and 16, God renews the covenant that he had with Abraham of the promised land, but he also adds to it. This is the time where he says the first time that Abraham's seed will be as as will be numbered as much as the dust in the earth. So uh, Abraham, he tells him that in Genesis 13, and then seven years later in Genesis 15, Abraham starts questioning God. He asks God, hey, Lord God, what will thou give me seeing I go childless and the steward of mine house is Eliezer of Damascus. And, and see, he's 
questioning, saying, hey, Lord, you, you said seven years ago my seed would be uh, more numerous than the dust of the earth. I still don't have one yet. What, what's going on? I'm still childless, Lord. Uh, and then the Lord answers him very graciously, very mercifully, uh, and says in verse 5 of 15, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. Uh, and he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And this is the important verse, the next one, Genesis 15, 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So uh, as soon uh, there's Abraham questioning, hey, it's been seven years. You said I was supposed to have this great seed. It hasn't even started yet. I don't even have one. Uh, and he's, he's, he's questioning. He's asking God. So God uh, takes him out, points up to the stars, and says, hey, you look at all those stars. If you could count them... Uh, uh, your seed will be like that. And Abraham believed God at that point. He looked up uh, and he believed God at his word. And the Bible says he, he counted it to him for righteousness. And then later on in chapter 15, it's the story I love. Uh, they take the heifer, uh, the ram, the, the goat, and the birds, and they cut the bigger animals in half. Uh, and then Abraham falls asleep. He wakes up. And you've got the, the uh, burning lamp and the smoking furnace passing through. And if you look at the symbolism of that, it was God making a covenant with God, right? If he made a covenant with Abraham and Abraham uh, didn't fulfill his side, then God could get out of it, right? But instead, God swore by himself, right? Uh, the God that cannot lie. Uh, so Abraham's asking, how do I know this is true? So God made a covenant the way they would have done it back then, walking through the pieces See, the two men would have done that, but instead God walked with God through the pieces and said, here's the promise I'm going to make to you. But then a year later, we have Genesis chapter 16, and that's where they try to help God out, right? Isn't that what we do sometimes? Well, God, this is a hard thing to do, so we'll help you out. And Sarah gives Abraham Hagar the handmaid for a wife, uh, and then she bears him Ishmael. Uh, and then so that's a big problem, right? There was no faith in that, no, absolutely no faith. They're going with the custom of the day uh, to have the replacement, and God never wanted him to do that. Uh, but then another 14 years passes, and we get Genesis 17. Genesis 17, 15, God said unto Abraham, as for Sarah, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations, kings of people shall be her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. And said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is nine years old bear? So you see what he's saying? He's laughing and questioning God. For, yeah, no, wait a second. Because first he wanted Eliezer, uh, uh, his servant, to carry on the seed. You know, through him, his son would be the seed. And God said no. Then they try Hagar uh, to carry on the seed. And God says no. So God gets real specific now and says, hey, it's not only your seed, but Sarah as well. And he laughs. He laughs at God and reminds God how old they are, as if God didn't know. Then later on in that year, Genesis 20, Abraham travels to Gerar uh, and he talks to King Abimelech. And what he does is as they're on the way there, he tells Sarah uh, to say, hey, don't tell him you're my wife. Say you're my sister. 
right? And then that causes all kinds of problems. And when King Abimelech realizes what the problem was, he goes and confronts Abraham and God, uh, and Abraham tells him when he's questioned about the lie, he says in verse 11 of chapter 20, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Now, wait a second. If he was supposed to be the father of many nations, if he's supposed to have a seed come from, uh, from Sarah and himself, which hasn't happened yet, then obviously, right, it's easy on the, as a third party uh, looking from, out from a distance to say, Abraham, why were you even afraid of dying? You couldn't have died, right? God's promise would have never been fulfilled. What are you afraid of? Why are you fearing? Why are you doubting? Why are you lying about all of this? He shouldn't have had any fear. He didn't need to lie because God's seed would have came true and really eliminated his fears. So you think about those things, right? That's what's happened in his life. From the point where he God imputed or, or counted it to righteousness these are the things that happened afterward, right? Ishmael happens in 16. He laughs in 17. He lies in chapter 20. And th this is Abraham. This is, this is him. Now let's go back to the passage today. We were looking at Sunday school, verse 19. And being not, this is Abraham being explained. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, and when he was a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also uh, able, able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now you're thinking, now wait a second, right? We just read 15, or we just looked at 16, 17, 20. Now we're back in Romans chapter 4 that's giving the recap of his life and you're saying, wait a second. This looks like a contradiction, doesn't it? Wait, uh, Romans 4 is saying he was not weak in faith. He staggered not at the promise. He considered, he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb and he's fully persuaded, right? No unbelief, fully persuaded, not staggering at the promise. Did we, did Paul miss it, right? Was he reading 16 and 17 and 20? What's going on? I mean, him and Sarah, yeah, he, Abraham lives a life of faith, but it's not a perfect faith. They have doubts. Abraham's lying. He's trying to fix the infertility problem himself with Hagar. But by the time we get to the New Testament, we don't see that. Where'd it go? What's going on? I believe the Bible's true, don't you? I believe it's perfect. I believe it's error-free. I believe there's no contradictions. So if we believe that, how do we explain this? How do we explain the accounts in Genesis of Abraham's life and the accounts in Romans of his life? And you know what? I think if we really think about it, it should bring us great comfort is what it should do, not confusion. Because if we stop and ask ourselves, have we been given great promises by God? 
We might not have had the exact promises. We don't have the nation promise that Abraham got, and we don't have some of the we don't have the land promise that he got, but we've got a whole Bible full of precious promises that we can cling to. And one of the great ones is the one we repeat over and over again: uh, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, uh, thou shalt be saved. You know, we uh, we look at salvation, the promise of that, and we cling on to that, and we say, Praise God. For that, we believed in Jesus Christ by faith, even though we weren't there. We didn't see him walk on this earth. We didn't see him get a die on the cross. We didn't see him be buried, and we didn't see him raised on the third day. It takes faith to believe everything that the Bible says. Amen. But guess what? None of us have lived a perfect life after we're saved, including when it comes to our faith, right? We never perfectly believed by faith everything God has said. Because to say that would mean we've never doubted. We've never second-guessed. We've never asked God, why has this not happened yet? God, have you changed your mind? God, let me help you out. We know he doesn't need it. None of us have lived. Right? We've gone through periods of waiting, haven't we? Those are hard, aren't they? We want things fast. He, every once in a while, I, uh, I, I was messing a while back with an older computer, and it, I started to remember how long we had to wait to get those things to turn on. My goodness, if they don't turn on in a split second now, we're angry, right? We used to have to wait for things. Now we're hardly waiting for anything. And guess what? We don't like waiting for God, and God's a whole lot more patient than we are. Oh, yeah. Amen. I mean, you look at Abraham's life, that's a great example. There are years and years that pass in between some of the chapters where Abraham just has to live and trust God, even though the Isaac hadn't, hadn't come yet. The promise hadn't been fulfilled yet. And you know, there are times where we read God's promises and it seems impossible. Amen? The same thing happened with Abraham. They're saying, wait a second. God, don't you remember I'm 100? She's 90. It's not going to work. Right? That's what he's telling God. God, this won't work. You need to change your plan. How about something easy like my servant's son? Right? Or Hagar? But we do the same thing, don't we? We look at this Bible and we say, ooh, that's, that's hard to do, Right? When in all reality, we need to be like Joshua in the middle of the battle. The sun's going down, right? And he asked God to make the sun and the moon stand still so they can finish fighting until everything's done. And I've told you before, I stopped and meditated on that years ago. And I thought, now wait a second. Uh, the only way for the sun and moon to stop in the sky is uh, the earth would stop spinning. And it spins really fast. And if you put the brakes on it really fast, all the water's going to go flying. No different than if you have an open cup on your car and you you slam on the brakes. Wait, how did all the oceans didn't get thrown off? How did we get thrown off the earth? Because God's got it. He created this earth. He can stop it. He can start it. He can make the moon, sun, and the moon appear to us to stand still. He can do all these things. But sometimes we waver, right? We waver. They're saying, now wait a second. See, because if it were up to me, the imputing, the righteousness part comes really early in that story. If it were up to me, 
I would have put the imputing of righteousness in Genesis 22. That's when Isaac's here and God says, I want you to take him up to the mountain and offer him. Because when you read that story, I don't see wavering. I don't see him second guessing. I don't see him going halfway and stopping. I don't see the, the normal Abraham activity. I see him just doing it. Uh, and then when you look at it, uh, in Hebrews 11, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead, uh, even... Raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. What that's saying is uh, Abraham said, hey, he's the promised seed. Nobody else, right? I tried to offer up other ones and God said, no, it's this one. And if this is the one and if this is where the many nations are coming through and I go offer him on the mountain and he doesn't have any children yet and he dies, God's going to bring him back to life. Wow. Now that's faith, right? That's extraordinary faith. That's where I would have put it was imputed unto him for righteousness. But that's not where God put it. He put it much, much earlier. But then that should be a blessing to us, right? Because the imputing came in 15, chapter 15, verse 6, before Ishmael, before the laughing. Before the lies, right? Before the cover-up, before all these things. It came way before all of that. And then it reminded me when the Bible talks about imputing righteousness, it's talking about justification. Where God, you know, he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new life. He forgives us of our sins when we're saved. But he also justified us. Uh, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that justification is where God declares a sinner uh, to be innocent, the guilty to be innocent. And the Bible says it's because we're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So we were guilty, but he wipes our guilt record uh, clean. He takes away the sins. He takes away the death penalty that we deserved. We deserve the cross, not him. He takes all of that away and he declares us to be innocent but that's one half of justification the other half is when he takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and imputes that onto our account it's an accounting term he takes it and where he takes it from Jesus's account and he puts it on our account there's a transfer there so when we God looks at the record of our life he sees Jesus right that's what he sees what was Jesus? Perfectly obedient, perfectly faithful, never wavering, right? Never doubting, never changing, just doing the Father's will all the way up until the end. Guess what? Justification in Abraham's life did not require perfect faith his entire life because he couldn't give it, right? He couldn't do it. If we were required to never doubt, to, to never waver, to never uh, just you know, look up at the stars one time, believe it, and that's it, never again doubting, 
we'd be in trouble. Because guess what? Our salvation doesn't require perfect faith our entire life either. Because we can't give it. You know, we, you know what kind of faith that God wants when he saved us? He wants the faith that will realize that we're dead in sin. That we're headed to hell because the Bible says so. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our sins. And if we trust in him and call on his name, he'll save our soul. That's the faith that saved us, right? Now, let me ask this. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've ever doubted since you were saved whether you're still saved or not? Yeah. Yes. But see, if we doubt, then it's not perfect, right? I was thinking about this. It's been now 31 years since I've asked Jesus into my heart. And I can tell you, I have not perfectly trusted him every day. That's easy. That's easy to tell you that. It's easy. I've doubted times when I've saved. But you know what I've done every time where I've ever doubted I'm saved? I come back to this. Because you know why I'm doubting that I'm saved? It's two reasons. Either the emotions aren't right. Right? I, I should feel saved, but I'm not feeling it. Or the circumstances aren't right. Why am I in this situation? Right? And, and the devil tries to get in your ear. You would not be uh, feeling this emotionally if you were saved. Then I have to get back in here and say, I don't see a promise of God that after you're saved, everything will always feel good. In fact, I see a lot of examples where they didn't feel good. Oh, and then uh, the devil getting in my ear saying that everything should be great. No, that's prosperity preachers. You get in the Bible and realize it wasn't always great for everybody. But we're saved. Amen. Amen? That's what I have to get back to the book and then realize it. Even when the emotions aren't right and everything in the circumstances aren't right. And that's what Abraham had to do as well. He had to go back to the promise. Right? God gave him those stars. So every sing he could have doubted every single morning, every single day. And all he had to do was go outside at night and look up at those stars and remember the day when God had promised him and said, Abraham, you look up there and you remember, you start to count those stars. And he could see many more than we can now. But you look up there, it would have been countless. You can't even number it. They still can't number it today with technology and everything else. They can take a teeny little spot of a telescope, a picture of it, and they can blow it up and they can guess how many uh, per inch on that little telescope screen. But then they say, we can't see what's beyond that. Right. I'm glad God can see beyond that. But you know what? For Abraham, even in doubt, even in all these things, we can go back to chapter 4 and see what God said. Right? What did he say? 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. Right? He wasn't weak in faith. He staggered not at the promise through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. If we know that that is God taking what really happened and imputing righteousness. We see the result in Romans 4. Here's what imputed righteousness looks like for Abraham. 
I believe we can look at ourselves and one day we, I don't know how it'll work, but we might get to see the record of our life somewhere in heaven. When we look at our life, it's probably going to shock us because we're going to say, now, wait a second. I had a whole lot of chapters 16, 17, and 20 in my life. Where did they go? You want to know where they went? The cross. The sins were forgiven and the righteousness was put in its place. That's what it looks like. My goodness, you look at that. You read it again. Go back to Abraham. Go back to Romans 4. Go to Hebrews 11 and look at it. And then you can look at others in Hebrews 11 and say, wait a second, Samson's on that list of the hall of faith? What about all the problems? They're not there. They're not there. And then one day, I believe, I believe Hebrews 11 is still being written for each and every one of us still being written through time. And one day, there's going to be the by faith James, by faith Whitley, by faith Mel. And there's going to be something there. And we're going to look at it and say, wait a second. Really, that was God doing that. Right? When we talk to Noah one day, I believe we'll get a chance. We're going to say, man, that ark, we saw how big it was, right? We saw, man, look at that. He'll say that. That was God. Yeah. You want to know what Noah did? It's not there. I hope that helps you tonight. Because the devil wants you to look at every flaw, every failure, every doubt, every fear, every misstep, right? And dwell on those and think I'm never, ever living up. Well, guess what? You're not. But Jesus knew that. And that's why he knew he could live up to it in our place. I'm going to open up the order first. What a God. Amen. What a God.